Listen to 88.3 from the Grizz from Oakland University. This is another edition of Sports Day in the D. It's March 21st, 2013. Got another big show coming up for you. First topic we have to set it off is the Detroit Lions. Reggie Bush is now a new acquisition, and there's also been some key departures for the Lions. We'll let you know how everything is getting set as the Lions move toward the NFL draft. And the next topic, we're talking about NCAA and March Madness. Thinking about how Michigan and Michigan State's going to fare in their respective matchups, and we'll let you know how everything looks going forward, and how exactly do you spend your day when the tournament starts. There's been a lot of news as far as the Red Wings are concerned as they're in that long road stand, and there's also been some news that you didn't want to hear with Pavel Datsuk in terms of should he stay or should he go? Is he going to be a Red Wing or is he going to go overseas and play in Russia? Finally figure out what the heck that's all about. And then there's some more Tigers news as well. And the review for MLB 13 The Show is finally going to be on the show. You'll get my take of how the game is and in terms of what the Tigers are going to be doing. So stick around after the break. We're going to head it up with some Lions news. This is John Ott, 88.3 from the Grizz from Oakland University. Sports Sanity, 88.3 from the Grizz. John Ott here back with you. Let's talk about some Lions football really quickly. Everybody knows about the Reggie Bush acquisition. And I'm not sure what side of the fence you're going to be on in terms of if you like it or you hate it. You can get at me at Facebook and Twitter at TBU Gunslinger. Let me know what you think in terms about all that. I think you can just tell by the tone of my voice already. I would say that I'm not in love with it. And that's only because the Lions said go ahead and get Reggie Bush out in terms of necessity more than just to go ahead and put him on the offense to try to get a little bit more done. Because when I think about it this way, Javid Best, they're not even sure if this dude's going to come back and ever play football again in his life. And essentially, dude's going to go out there and retire probably because he just can't go ahead and get this stuff done. Can't be quoted on that exactly, but that's just what I'm hearing in terms about Javid Best. So Reggie Bush was brought in for that exact reason. Mikel DeShore is one of the more of those power backs. Reggie Bush, they want him to essentially be one of those home run threats that the Lions have been looking for for a long time. There are a lot of people say from a lot of the stuff that I've read, pro football talk and all that, all these comments in these sections, man, Reggie Bush is just a perfect fit for the Detroit Lions because you got Stafford, you got Calvin Johnson, you need somebody out there. Do you know that Reggie Bush is not going to get a lot of lot of chances to touch the football and maybe he doesn't need to because he's just one of those guys that goes out there and can just be a home run threat so these are the last few numbers in terms of Reggie Bush let me read this to you really quickly within his last 31 games you're talking about the Saints with Miami Dolphins or whatever Miami Dolphins I would think within the last 31 games dudes rush for over 2,072 yards 12 touchdowns going over 1,000 yards for the first time in his career during the 2011 season. Bush added 78 receptions for 588 yards with three touchdowns as a receiver out of the backfield and has game-breaking ability in the open field along with his versatility, and that's exactly what the Lions are seeking to add in their backfield. So there you go. Do you love it or you hate it? Apparently Reggie Bush is not going to be packaged with any of their Kardashians, so we're not going to get that stuff going on a Ford field. But that's more or less what you got. Reggie Bush is going to be here for a reported, what was it, four seasons now? So Reggie Bush is going to be here. Do you like it or do you hate it? In terms about what the Lions are going to give you, I'm glad that Chris Houston is back for the Lions. I really think that that's more more or less of what they would need it. In terms of Reggie Bush, I think that's just pretty much what the Lions had to do. 
The Lions, I don't know if anybody's talking about this because apparently I don't see this as much. The Lions did lose Goster Cherilis. I know this guy has been injured a little bit, but he's one of those dudes to go out there and make some tackles in a position of need for the Lions. He's not back there. He's going ahead and playing with the Colts. In terms of Cliff Averill, he couldn't franchise tag him. You know the guy wanted to go out there and get paid. And you say, man, Cliff Averill just benefited because he played with the Dominic and Sue and all of that. So he didn't really need him. But dude's also getting picked up by the Indianapolis Colts. They're going to be looking a heck of a lot better, especially with Andrew Luck and all that. This team could be pretty good, taking away a couple of the Lions players that they really could have used. They're not there. So talking about the key you know, losses that the Lions have had from the free agency and all of that, I don't think that's a good thing. I think the Lions will be regretting the, the days of losing those two guys. And when you're thinking about just bringing back Rayola and Backus, they you know that didn't get any better. The coaching situation, the offensive defensive coordinator, all those guys are still there. The Lions are not going to be that much better. And yeah, when you really think about it, in my opinion, the Lions, besides with Matthew Stafford, you know they got that position solidified at quarterback. I don't think there's any question at that. Calvin Johnson is the best receiver in football. But we talk about that Pro Football Weekly article a long time ago in terms of dude going out there saying the Lions don't have any talent. Now when you look at that, yeah, Reggie Bush might be a good thing for the Lions. Yeah, Reggie's not the same player he was for the New Orleans Saints. Maybe he doesn't need to be because a lot of the people seem to think that New Orleans and the Detroit Lions are pretty similar in the way that they run their offenses. But losing Cherlos, losing possibly, you know, you, you already lost Cliff Averill. Maybe Louis Dalmas isn't coming back, and, you know, that was one of, another one of those guys that was injured. But he was one of those guys when he wasn't hurt. He's one of those game changers. And he had a safety. And you talk about Darrell Revis and all that, one of those corners. You, the Lions didn't get that. They just got Reggie Bush. How do you feel about what the Lions are going to do in the upcoming season, or more or less of it, is it just going to be the same for you? We're going to come back in from the break. We're going to talk a little bit about that NCAA tournament. I'll let you know how Michigan and Michigan State's going to fare in their matchups. And I want to know just how you spend that day. Is that one of your most favorite days of the year as a sports fan? And how do you do it as a casual observer of the March Madness tournament? Stick with me. This is John Opp for Sports Day in the D, 88.3 FM, the Grizz, from Oakland University. Welcome back in from Sports Day in the D. You're listening to 88.3 FM The Grizz in Oakland University. This is John out here with you. It's my favorite time of the year. Talking about March Madness and getting in a little bit of bracketology and all that stuff. It's been broken down a little bit. And then by the time you get to listen to the show, you'll be in the second round of games. And you'll finally get to watch after the show is aired, especially because right in the afternoon, you stick right to your TV. Michigan and Michigan State will be playing. You can add me on Facebook and Twitter. Let me know. At TBU Gunslinger on Twitter, Facebook.com slash TBU Gunslinger on Facebook. What do you think about March Madness? How do you spend that day? What do you do? Do you try to just watch as many games as you can? Do you throw some parties? What's your whole experience like when you're watching March Madness? Because I'm going to tell you, for me, I pretty much get up as early as these games start. I sit there and I try to watch as many of them as I can and just enjoy myself. Because when you think about college basketball, the difference of how much I like the NBA and all that, college basketball and all these kids, they put it in a lot of effort and all of that, but it's just crazy. 
and sometimes the play is inconsistent. You see these kids go up and down the floor. You see all the passion. You see all these schools that get some at-large bids that wouldn't normally get them. You think about Oakland University in that case within the last couple of years when them making the tournament, having to play against Pittsburgh and Texas, these mid-major schools. It's really cool to see them get in there and play against some serious competition, as Oakland usually pretty much does that when they go ahead and schedule all of their games. They were not able to get in the tournament this year because South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits, were pretty good, and we went ahead and did that show at the very beginning in terms of what Michigan and Michigan State were going to do and what Oakland was going to do People were saying South Dakota State was going to go ahead and win that summit, and they ended up doing that. So what does that leave you for the Midwest region? In terms of the Big Ten being represented as the number three seed, we got Michigan State taking on Horizon League winner Valparaiso. And you think about that as one of the leagues that the U of D would come out of, and they weren't able to do that as they did last year when they had lost to Kansas Ray McCallum's squad and all of that. Michigan State gets to go ahead and take on Valpo. you got to think Michigan State's going to go ahead and get that one. So this is going to be, as usual, as you are listening to this show, you get it in the morning, 12.15 p.m., same day, Michigan on the Thursday. Michigan State's going to be playing against Valpo. And you think they go ahead and get that one, but here's where the bracket would get a little bit interesting. Michigan State would get a chance to get a rematch against... Memphis in the second round and possibly be playing Duke in the third round. How far is Michigan State going to go? Are they going to get past Memphis in round two and possibly get past Duke in round three if that's how the seedings will go? Because when you think about Michigan State, they could also play against Creighton and Duke McDermott, who's one of the best scorers in college basketball in one of those rounds. But quite possibly Memphis and Duke, if you're going out there and going that far within these next second and third rounds, how far is Michigan State going to go? That's your look at what the Midwest could be. In terms of the other Michigan team that we got representing the big, Michigan, been an interesting season for them. They go all the way from being ranked number one in the nation to now getting a number four seed in the south part of the bracket. Michigan will be taking on Summit League winner South Dakota State. Would have been interesting if Oakland would have won that Summit League because Michigan and Oakland would have been playing against each other they did not get to play against each other in the regular season this year. Oakland played against Michigan State. How far is Michigan going to go? Interestingly enough, I know Matt Pocket has talked about this at length, how much he thinks Nate Walters is a stud for the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. I'll finally get to see with my own eyes how much of a stud this guy is. 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time, Michigan will be playing against South Dakota State. How good is Nate Walters? When I'm funny, when I look at all that stuff on ESPN, Jay Billis, all those guys on there, and they're set for college game day, all mention that Nate Walters is a stud who can absolutely put up some numbers against Michigan. And Michigan, while they don't think they're going to be losing that game, should be absolutely concerned that Nate Walters is going to get at least six boards, six assists, and about 20-something points. I'd like to see that with my own eyes. I want to see how good this kid is. Because when I even looked at mock drafts in terms of the NBA, this kid could be getting some considerations in terms of going in there. As far as also thinking about Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke, Ray McCallum, Nate Walters, just some of these kids you think about, they could be going in in terms of the NBA and all of that. 
How is Michigan going to fare against Nate Walters? South Dakota State's apparently pretty good at putting some points up on the board. Michigan's not that good at playing defense. How will they fare? In the second round, they could possibly play Michigan against VCU. I wouldn't see that being a very good matchup for Michigan. And if they possibly made it past that, in the third round, Michigan could be playing against North Carolina. I don't see that matchup looking very good. I don't see Michigan doing as well in terms of that. Michigan State, you talk about Memphis and Duke. That could be difficult. I think Michigan would have a tougher road in terms of what they're going to be doing. I don't see both teams making it to the third round. If they do, Michigan State has a better shot of doing that. As far as Ohio goes, they could possibly win their region. Because when you look at their bracket, as for Ohio State, they have Iona in the first round, and then they could be possibly playing against Notre Dame and Harvard or New Mexico. I could see them winning that whole region. And as far as Indiana playing against LMU or Long Island. You know, they're going to win that in the first round. Temple, NC State, probably winning that. And then UNLV, California in the third round of that winner. I could see Indiana winning their region. So Ohio State and Indiana winning their regions. And I'm not necessarily certain if Michigan or Michigan State can make it past the second or third round. I would say Michigan State can make it to the third round. And I would have a hard time believing Michigan making it past the second round. I think VCU could definitely give them trouble. And they did get past VCU, North Carolina, and do the same thing. be interesting to see whether what Michigan team will come out on offense in terms of if it's just give the ball to Trey Burke or if Tim Hardaway Jr. can finally knock down the J from outside and Nick Stauskas and Glenn Robinson III don't sit there and play like freshmen. So in terms of your scheduling, this is what you're going to have. We mentioned... The Thursday, the pre-record of the show is going to be in here. So you're going to get Michigan State 12-15. You're going to get it right in the afternoon. And Michigan 7-15, I believe it is. Yes, it's 7-15 p.m. against Michigan and South Dakota State. So you're going to get that Thursday or Friday in the second round. Third round action is going to be March 23rd to 24th. And the Sweet 16th is going to be March 28th to 29th. So I'm going to be back in here with you for next week's show. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the tournament, March Madness, and hopefully Michigan, Michigan State will still be in this bracket so we can figure out what the heck is going to be going on. In terms of your scheduling, it's CBS all the way. So you're going to have your CBS broadcast of networks, and True TV is also part of that conglomerate. So check CBS, check True TV. And then there was also one other station that I forget that does the CBS conglomerate. So CBS, True TV, and then there's also one other station in there. So go ahead and check that stuff out during March Madness. And I just wanted to get your take as we talked about all of that. How do you spend your March Madness? Do you go ahead and you try to watch all those games? Or even if you're not just a basketball fan, you know these people go ahead and they ask you, go ahead and fill out your bracket. Go ahead and do what you can. Just see if you can go ahead and see what teams like Georgetown, Cinderella, all of that. Who's going to be in there to go ahead and be your ultimate bracket buster? Who do you got going there being your ultimate bracket busters? Those are the questions I got for you. How do you spend your NCAA March Madness days? Do you sit in front of the TV and enjoy all those games? Do you not do any of that stuff? Do you not even fill out a bracket? i got to tell you, the first time last year was the first time I ever filled out a bracket. 
for the NCAA March Madness, finished third in terms of about, I think it was 40 people that played, and I finished third in the bracket, did pretty well for the first time that I've done it. And I'm not going to go ahead and sit there and lie to you and say I did a ton of research and all that, because I really didn't. I just did it in terms of the seating and in terms of watching a few games. And when I think about it this year, I would say the Big Ten was obviously very tough. So if I was going to go ahead and give you some advice, I would say Big Ten teams, you think about that's going to stick up pretty well in terms of the competition. Feel comfortable with those teams going forward. And in terms of those natural powerhouses being North Carolina, Duke, all of that stuff, you're going to you know follow the same way within the powerhouses because they usually do not disappoint. Ones have never lost. Twos have lost before. And when you get to fours and fives, don't be surprised if any of them lose because it seemingly happens all the time. Something is going to be out there to screw up your bracket. You're never going to know what it is, but it's a heck of a lot of fun to go ahead and do those brackets. So go ahead and get them in there now because by the time you listen to this show, all that stuff might be a little bit too late. Go ahead and get these brackets in there and have some fun and just enjoy yourself because it's one of the best sports days of the year, if not one of the coolest things to watch because it's just game after game after game against all these young kids, and somebody's going to be out there to put out a primetime performance, a little Deion Sanders there, a little primetime performance to get you to be glued into the TV. Just an absolutely fun time, and I encourage you to go out there, fill out some brackets, watch some games, go out there and enjoy yourself, go out and hit a B-dubs, go enjoy it with everybody, and just have a great time with it because it only comes once a year, and it would just be awesome if college football would follow this same kind of thing and just have all these games out there. I would love to see it. Probably would never happen like that, and maybe it never could happen like that, but at least it happens in basketball, and it's a heck of an enjoyable process, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. There's one other point that I wanted to make in terms of how the seating is set up in terms of what the NCAA tournament is. Talk about it a lot in the College Game Day segment with Reese Davis and Jay Billis when they break down why these seeds are put how they are. When those two guys were talking, along with the NCAA commissioner in terms of the seeding and having everything set up, even the commissioner will tell you with Jay Billis and Reese Davis, especially Jay Billis and said this a lot, it's not about who you played, but it's also about who you lost to. In regards of that, you think about when they had teams on the right side and the left side, teams like Alabama that did not get in and other teams like Middle Tennessee that had gotten in. You don't really know some of those schools, or you might not follow college basketball a lot, but when you go ahead and you get wins, essentially, against big-time schools, it wasn't about who you beat. They had better records. They had beaten better quality teams, but had not gotten into the tournament because they've had just a bad loss that left a bad taste in their mouth for these NCAA commissioners, and it just wasn't seeded well. In terms of all that, you think about why does this point hit home? Well, the other year when Oakland had played against Texas, when Oakland had played against Pittsburgh the year prior, even before that, a lot of these students and everybody else around here and the college committee, Oakland's a mid-major school. They have to win the Summit League to get an at-large bid. And a lot of the fans had thought that Oakland had gotten screwed essentially because they had to play against a Texas and a Pittsburgh and they're not going to get the same scheduling purposes and all of that even though Oakland really does play against tough 
quality opponents. Most of the time when they get a chance to have a team, maybe they didn't have the same kind of team they had uh, this year because they didn't have Reggie Hamilton or they didn't have Keith Benson. But still, you think about stuff like that. It's, if you lose to a team that you're not supposed to lose to, the commissioner and everybody looks at that more than you beating a team that you probably shouldn't have beat, that essentially losses do a lot more damage to you than playing against a tough schedule and getting some wins that you probably shouldn't have gotten. It was an interesting dynamic that I thought didn't take place as much, but that's probably because I don't follow college basketball as much, and I'm not going to lie to you in terms of all of that. I think a lot of us follow more of the pro sports, and you want to follow a lot of the college basketball, but you just can't find the time to do all of that in terms of the main things that you follow in terms of a daily basis. It's a lot of pro sports, unless you're talking about college football in that regard, because football is always king and all of that. But it was just an interesting dynamic in terms of all of that, and it was something I thought that would be brought to an attention that probably should look the other way around, but it's always about who you lose to, and the, what, what have you done for me lately in terms of getting those big wins. It's always about those losses matter more. Come back in from the break. We're going to talk about some Red Wings hockey and figure out what the heck these rumors are with Pavel Datsuk and him possibly not being with the Red Wings next season. And we'll continue to break down that 6 out of 7 on the road as the Red Wings have actually done pretty good in this last week. We'll come back and tell you about it. This is John Ott, Sports Day in the D. Thank you for listening to Sports Day in the D, and welcome back in from the break. This is John on here with you from 88.3 FM, The Grizz, and Oakland University. Now, I want to go ahead and talk about some Red Wings hockey a little bit. And, you know, I wish Oakland University would go out there and just get a laugh track for me every time I go out and talk about Red Wings hockey, because, man, I just can't seem to get anything right in terms of what the Red Wings are going to do. And you say, maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on myself, or maybe this guy really is an idiot, and I just listen for the entertainment for all the falsities that he just spews out of his mouth. Either way, I'm with you on all of that. But the exact point that I'm trying to get to is even several weeks ago when Pat Caputo written an article in the Oakland Press about the Red Wings, he described them as a mixed bag. And in terms of being able to get my predictions and talk about what the Red Wings are going to do, I think a mixed bag is probably the best way to talk about how I talk about it because this team is consistently inconsistent. But... They are sitting fifth in the Western Conference right now from the weekend standings with 33 points. So the way it looks right now, it's still a little bit more of a log jam. We got more separation. Detroit's got 33 points in 29 games. Minnesota's leading the division in third with 32 points. St. Louis is just ahead with 34. Vancouver, the Los Angeles Kings, 6 and 7, 32. San Jose's got the A spot at 30. Phoenix is 30. Edmonton's 28 and 10th. You know, it's pretty much the same things you would expect. So that's your standings in a nutshell. But there was a couple takeaways in terms of what the Wings had done in the road. And the last week when I mentioned the show, they could go 0 for 3 in terms of that 6 out of 7 in that week for those games being on the road. 0 for 3 last week playing against Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. You thought that could happen. So Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Wings did lose Wednesday's game to Calgary Flames when they played them the second time. They lost 5-2. to The one thing that you took away from that was that 0-42 for 42 
on the road for the power play was finally broken as the Wings were the only team in the NHL that did not have a road power play goal. That was snapped in a 5-2 loss. Losses are never good, but you think going ahead and getting road power play goals probably a necessity if you want to go ahead through this tough stretch out of the 6 out of 7. The Wings finally were able to do that, but some just horrible giveaways in the defensive end just doomed the Red Wings in that 5-2 loss. Then things got a little bit more dim in terms of the outlook in the Friday game as the Wings have played against the Edmonton Oilers. And you say, yeah, you lost the game against Calgary. Edmonton is pretty much a bottom feeder too. You got to go ahead and get it done. And within the first four minutes in that first period, Taylor Hall busts it right in through the defense and puts a sweet move on Howard, puts it in the net, and you say, oh boy, the defense is just not going to be up to the task. And the Red Wings weren't able to get anything going. Heck, even in that second period, they're sitting there down 2 to nothing. The Wings don't have a goal yet. They were able to get two goals in the third and win the game in an OT with another beautiful Datsuki and Deke. You know, you saw the one that was in Nashville that could have been one of the goals of the year, in my opinion, in terms of maybe you say the Nashville goaltender, Pecorine, or whoever it was, should have stopped it. But the Deke between four other guys from Nashville, absolutely incredible for Datsuki. He puts a nasty Deke move on a young Edmonton defender and just roofs it top shelf, and the Red Wings win the game. A takeaway from that game was the Wings obviously being able to put pucks in the net in terms of what they haven't been able to do lately. To go ahead, especially being behind 2-0, Jimmy Howard playing pretty well after giving up those couple goals, making some good saves to keep the Wings in it. For the Red Wings to go out and get some goals is a welcome sight, especially on the road, which they have not played well. They were 4-6-2 at that point before playing. And then... Now, Saturday's game, the last game that before you go ahead and hear the show, it was the Vancouver Canucks. And they went ahead and they put a beat down on them, as like I mentioned last week. You thought the Canucks would be out there, you know, for blood in terms of what the Red Wings were doing. And right off the draw, at the beginning of the game, a pass goes up to one of the Sedins and he buries it six seconds in from Sedin to Burroughs. And Burroughs buries it in for the Vancouver Canucks. And it was ridiculous. Six seconds in, and he thought about the game just the other night with Taylor Hall busting in four minutes in the first period, in the first four minutes getting a goal. And you say, my goodness, this is going to happen all over again. You can't go ahead and give up these goals to Vancouver because it's going to be tough to come back from. But the Wings, again, put a beat down on the Vancouver Canucks. They win 5-2. to two. They put five goals on them. They just dropped what I believe eight or seven the last time they went ahead and played Vancouver. So absolutely just putting goals in the back of the net. And Luongo or anyone else that's in there for Vancouver just can't seem to stop Red Wings pucks. And it's just good for the Red Wings to go ahead and at least take two out of three on the road in the week. You know, it's just a welcome sight because the Wings finally break that road power play. They finally get some pucks in the net. Datsuk looks good. He continues to make all these passes. And the Red Wings... Finally, help the guy out, Datsuk, and go ahead and get some goals off the passes that he's making. So the weekend standings, like we mentioned, 33 points. The Red Wings, now they sit 5-6-2 on the road and 5-3-2 in their last 10 games. There's a couple things to get to in terms of Pavel Datsuk, and this is a little, a little bit why I wanted to talk some Red Wings hockey for all of you guys out there. Pavel Datsuk 
He's got 28 games played. He's got 30 points. He's got nine goals and 21 assists. He hadn't scored a goal quite a long time before he got that one in Edmonton for the Wings to win in OT. He's sitting at a plus 11 right now, which is pretty good. That's second for the Wings. He's got three game-winning goals. He's only got 10 penalty minutes. Dude's got a lot of dimes. And Henrik Zetterberg, same thing. He's got eight goals, 22 assists. He's got 30 points as well. And you say, how the heck do these guys get all these assists when it doesn't seem like anybody else can score on the Wings team? And when you look at that, Damian Brunner still got the lead with 10 goals and 10 assists, but there's some little bit of balance in terms of everybody else scoring some goals. It's not very top-heavy. You kind of wish the Wings would go out there and get some goal scores to go ahead and figure things out. You know, Maybe Johan Franzen can stay healthy a little bit, hopefully, and put some pucks in the net. But this is what I want to get to. Pavel Datsuk, the plus 11, 30 points. He's having a pretty darn good season, 28 games, played 30 points. There's been some rumors on 97 on the ticket, and you don't, it's just rumors. You don't know exactly if it's going to be true or not, but in terms of Mike Babcock, Pavel Datsuk, it's rumored that those two guys don't really get along, and it's rumored that after this season, Pavel Datsuk's going to go ahead and play in Russia and finish out his career because A, he likes playing in there, and B, you say those two guys don't get along, and C, maybe Pavel Datsuk's getting a little bit older, and that might be a nice way to end out his career. I still say when you watch these guys play, especially Datsuk, in these last few games I've watched in this in the last week to go ahead and talk about all that, Pavel Datsuk absolutely makes amazing passes. As long as these guys go ahead and keep their head up, they can go ahead and get some goals in terms of even if you don't got that much talent because the dude just hit feeds you and the puck hits you perfectly tape to tape on the stick and it's just an easy goal in terms of all of that. Dude's an incredible skater. You see the deep moves he makes to get in the zone, to free himself up, to keep the play alive, keep the puck movement going. Absolutely spectacular. The guy's a magician. I would hate to see the guy go. Pavel Datsuk, definitely in his mid-30s, not playing like a guy that's in his mid-30s. He's playing like a guy that's 27, 28 years old. Absolutely has not lost a step, making some incredible moves. He's an incredible playmaker. Don't want to see the guy go. I hate to hear those kind of rumors of Pavel Datsuk not enjoying his time with Babcock and the Red Wings. And maybe not just the Red Wings. Maybe it's just Babcock in general. But I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Where do you think the Wings would be? This is my question for you. You can get at me at Facebook and Twitter at TBU Gunslinger, Facebook.com slash TBU Gunslinger. Where do you think the Red Wings would be right now without Pavel Datsuk? You know, the, the life of Justin Nicholas Lidstrom has been pretty darn hard in terms of all of that. Uh, Brian Lashoff has got a huge contract in terms of that on D because Nick's not there, so I'm certain he's happy to get some playing time. But in terms of everything else you got for the Wings and not having a lot of good goal scorers, you go ahead and take Pavel Datsuk's 30 points out of the equation. I go ahead and tell you that the Red Wings probably sitting 12th or 13th in the Western Conference. This could be one of the teams in there. Probably not as bad as uh, Columbus, even though Columbus has pretty much owned the Red Wings the last three times they played. But you think about the bottom feeder teams in the Western Conference, you would hope that the Red Wings would be better than that without Datsuk. But life without Datsuk, how are they going to go ahead and adjust? 
That would be the question I would have to pose to all of you. Because if that's absolutely a real thing and it's not a rumor, what are you going to do without number 13 on the ice? <laughs> that's absolutely unbelievable to have to think about if that's the case. But it's just scary to think about life without Dadsuk, especially when you watch these games and how he just makes these plays look so easy. In terms of what your game calendar you got coming up, talk about those six out of seven being on the road. This out of seven part, you're going to get a home game against the Minnesota Wild on Wednesday. So you'll hear this show after the game is played. Hopefully the Wings can pick up a win against the third place Western Conference right now, division leading Minnesota Wild. They got one point less than the Wings, but they're in third place because they're leading their division. Two big games for me. What to what to point out is a Friday and a Sunday game at Ducks and at Ducks. So the Wings got two games in Anaheim to play against. And Anaheim right now is sitting pretty in second place in the Western Conference. They have 27 games played and they got 20 wins, 3 losses, and 4 overtimes losses. And I mention this a lot in terms of if Chicago wasn't doing what they were doing in terms of that point streak, everybody would be talking about Anaheim. Because when you look at it, I know Pittsburgh's won nine in a row, if you haven't checked, absolutely been on fire, especially even without McGinney, Evgeny Malkin. They have the same amount of points even with the nine in a row that Anaheim does sitting at 44. Anaheim is 11-1 at home. The Red Wings have to go ahead and try to go ahead and compete against that. I don't think that's going to happen when you go ahead and look at that. Anaheim's also doing very good in terms of their differential right now. 90 goals for, only 66 allowed. When I think about Anaheim, maybe not Jonas Hiller. You might even think about Faust because he's been pretty good for Anaheim as well. You always think about the goal scorers, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlov. Ryan Getzlov right now has got 31 points in 27 games. He's having a pretty good season just like Datsuk. He's got 10 goals, 21 assists. Corey Perry, 9 goals, 15 assists. Bobby Ryan, 8 goals, 13 assists. Even Saku Koivu, 8 goals, 14 assists for 22 points. Tamu Solani has got 18 points in 27 games. Not doing so bad for a guy that's in his late 40s. So, I mean, this team is just pretty well-rounded. And in terms of your goaltending numbers, Jonas Hiller, 10-2-3 on the season with a 2.53 goals against and a 9-11 save percentage. And Victor Faust... He's also 10-1-1 in 13 games with a 1.92 goals against and a 9-3-0 save percentage. And both of these guys have a shutout to their credit. So their goaltending has been spectacular. Their defense is pretty good. And you got some rough and rugged guys in Getzlav and Perry and Bobby Ryan. So it's going to be difficult for the Red Wings, especially when you look at that 11-1 record at home. How do the Wings go ahead and beat the Ducks? Maybe it's just because somebody's going to go out of their shoes, out of their skates, go ahead and put put some pucks in the net for the Red Wings, because that's about the only way I see it. I would hope, I would be very happy if the Wings had split, but when you think about playing against Minnesota, and you think about those acquisitions of Parise and Suter, it's absolutely ridiculous, too. Let's go ahead and look at some Minnesota Wild stats here really quickly. Ryan Suter... 23 points, he's leading the Minnesota Wild. He does have a minus three. It's kind of interesting, but you think these two guys, especially with Suter not playing with um, his defense mate, Shea Weber, in Nashville anymore, it's a little bit of adjustment. Zach Parise, 22 points, 11 and 11, respectively, in goals and assists. 
And, man, these guys get some huge minus totals. Danny Heatley, minus 11. Oh, my goodness. It's absolutely crazy to think about the Wings having to go up against Parise and Suter and having to play against an 11-1 team at home on the road <laughs> twice back-to-back. -back. So the Wings are going to be in for a tough sledding this week. If they go ahead and take two out of three from the schedule, you'd be very encouraged about that, and then go ahead and get rid of this six out of seven road stand and hopefully be in greener pastures because Red Wings did a pretty good job in the last week and talk about this about Red Wings news now, now having to play against Minnesota and then Anaheim back-to-back. -back. It's going to be tough sledding. That's some Red Wings news for you when we come back in from the break. We're talking about MLB 13, the show, the review, and give you some Tigers news as well. Stick with me with Sports Day in the D. This is John Off from WXOU 88.3 from the Grizz. Sports Day in the D, 88.3 from the Grizz from Oakland University. This is John Off here back with you. Let's talk about a little bit of Tigers news and the review for MLB 13, the show, on the PlayStation 3. First off, when it comes to Tigers news, you may have already heard about last week Brandon Bosch being released by the Detroit Tigers. And I guess it wouldn't come as a shock in terms of if you're an avid Tigers fan, but if you're a casual observer, or perhaps you're one of those girls out there that has those signs at Comerica Park saying, we love Brandon Bosch and all of that. Trust me, if you're out there, you know who you are, and you know you do that every game and Brandon Bosch steps up to the plate. He's no longer a Detroit Tiger, probably because of the uppercut swing that he had that it would never connect he was just trying to hit home runs. He could never do that. He would just strike out all the time. Tigers really need to get production. We talked about the last couple times on the show in terms of the Tigers' window is going to be. It's going to probably be about three years. And now with the signing of Torrey Hunter to finally solidify some defense and solidify the outfield, think about it too. you got Andy Dirks, Don Kelly, and you also have Torrey Hunter and Avisail Garcia Where's the room for Brennan Bosch on the roster? If he's not going to be one of those guys that's going to come out there and give you production, then he probably doesn't have a spot on the Tigers roster. So that's why he gets outright released for the Tigers, and it's going to be happy trails for Brennan Bosch as maybe somebody's going to go out there and pick him up. You think about a couple seasons ago, and I'm not kidding you, when I checked ESPN's Top 100 for Major League Baseball players, Brennan Bosch was just past top one, I think it was like 103 or something like that, two seasons ago, in terms of up-and-coming prospects of somebody who's going to be a top 100 player in Major League Baseball. His talent just never panned out. Maybe he's going to find it with another squad in terms of anybody else out there in Major League Baseball. Heck, he's probably got a good shot with the Houston Astros because that roster, I don't know if you looked at that lately, but that's basically a double-A, triple-A squad disguised as a Major League Baseball team. In terms of MLB 13, the show, the review, let's get into it. Like I said, I postponed it last week because I had just picked up the game. Didn't get a chance to play all the modes and figure out what the heck the game was all about. But didn't get a chance to get a little bit of season into it. Playing the PlayStation 3 copy, I can't tell you what the difference is between the PlayStation 3 and Vita. I imagine there's not going to be some modes in the Vita. But let's go ahead and talk about the PlayStation 3 version. In terms of it, immediately, you see Andrew McCutcheon on the cover. Miguel Cabrera just finished second. Tigers fans were not able to get this guy on the cover, but still a great season for Miggy winning the Triple Crown. The game itself, it's pretty good. In terms of taking 60 bucks out of your bank account, this is what I give you in the outright. If you don't want to go ahead and listen to everything else in terms of the review, I tell you this. 
I, while I say the game is very good, I would go ahead and give it an 8.5 out of 10. Solid rating. If you got MLB 12 or you got MLB 11 the show, you might want to go ahead and stick with your copy if you're not ready to go ahead and throw down 60 bones. And I'm not saying it like it's a bad game, because I really believe the game is very good. But in terms of all that, if you can go ahead and get an updated roster on the Show Nation website in terms of what's been able to be provided for that game, if you can go ahead and get an updated roster for 11 and 12 and go ahead and put that on your copy, you can go ahead and probably pass on 13 a while before it gets you know price lowered and everything, and then you'll be able to afford it more easily and have it more readily available to you. That's just what I'm throwing out there in the outright. But in terms of what you're able to being offered, it's really nice. I got a chance to mess with the franchise mode a little bit, and in terms of all that, there is more added realism because you got a 40-man roster, and if you really want to mess with all that, you can't make everybody active on your MLB club. You got to find out who can be placed in the MLB club and then move the rest of the guys in a triple-A, double-A, or single-A. And you can also mess with the budgets and get more stuff in the off-season if you do well. And when you go ahead and make trades, you can go ahead and also do them legitly if you want. You can't offer Andy Dirks for Josh Hamilton or Mike Trout. It's not going to happen. you got to do talent for talent. In terms of all that, if you don't want to play legitly, I suggest you go into season mode because franchise mode kind of gets in the way with the 40-man roster. And even so, you're not exactly sure at all times, even though it tells you who would be on the 40-man roster, you can't go ahead and make all the trades you want to go ahead and get your lineup situated the way you want unless you go into season mode because at that point, it only messes with AAA stuff and it's absolutely much easier to go ahead and cheat if you want to and put Matt Camp, Andrew McCutcheon, Mike Trout, Miguel Cabrera, all those guys all on the Tigers and do what you want to do if you want to go ahead and do it that way because you can go ahead and make a dream team which is what I'd like to do and then also you can make the difficulty level any way you want it and you can go ahead and get a challenge depending on your skill level any way you want it in terms of why MLB the show is so great so that's pretty much if you want to go ahead and do that, stick with the season mode. If you want to go ahead and figure out budgets and everything else and your 40-man roster, stick with the franchise mode. You're going to get everything you want in terms of the realism. What I like about this season, too, if you want to go ahead and MLB 13 the show and jump right into the postseason, you can go right into the postseason mode, which lets you recreate any of the teams you want to go ahead and bring in the playoffs, and they have like special added cutscenes and other stuff to talk about, which is nice. So you can go ahead and bring a postseason mode to keep track of all of your stats, figure out how many games you want it to be, go head-to-head with your friends and all of that too in the on the same console, and have fun with all of that. I'll go ahead and talk about the online play in a second, though. So you have a postseason mode, you got the franchise in the season, and then the road of the show mode is absolutely a staple that's been for MLB The Show in terms of being able to take a guy from single-A baseball and bring him all the way up to the bigs, up to the show, up to Major League Baseball. You pretty much get all the stats, you do well, impress your coaches, you achieve your goals of what they want you to do through the season, and just have fun as you progress in from the minor leagues up into the bigs, and which is really nice with the show nation, like I said, the website, with the community on MLB The Show, it's also very good. So you can go ahead and get legit rosters for AA, A, and AAA baseball and Major League Baseball and bring it into Road to the Show mode so you can go ahead and play with all the minor leaguers you would play against in terms of all that when you're getting into the big league club. It's very awesome in that regard. You can have a lot of fun with that. And you can probably, 
even if you're not an avid baseball fan, Road of the Show Mode is actually pretty darn cool. So you can go ahead and lose yourself into that. It's pretty cool. In terms of being able to play online, it's the same problems that you've had before in terms of Major League Baseball, the show. It's the same problems because there's a lot of lag, and from what the PlayStation 3 has been able to offer you, you know you talked about it before, the online service is not as good as, as Xbox Live. Yeah, it's free, but you get what you pay for sometimes, and when you get a free service and you expect it not to lag, you'd be kidding yourself. MLB The Show has those same problems. There's going to be input lag in terms of hitting and pitching. And I'm not certainly sure if it's going to get patched. I'm sure it's going to get worked on a little bit to try to get everything to be more stable. But even when you're playing the offline game, when you're getting pitches from the computer, there will be a couple seconds of input lag. And believe me when I tell you, it's not my TV. That's the way the game is a little bit. That will get patched offline and the whole stuff will be fixed. But the online issues, if you played MLB The Show before, sometimes when you're fielding, sometimes when you're hitting, and sometimes when you're pitching, there's going to be some lag, and it can be in crucial spots, and it can be pretty unbearable at times. So if you know going in, or if you're just hearing this the first time, when you play MLB The Show, yes, it's incredibly realistic. Yes, it's incredibly rewarding and fun to play when you're playing offline. When you're playing the online experience, it can totally be a different story. And I wouldn't say that sometimes. I'm saying 90 to 95% of the time, it's a totally different experience. So you've been warned in terms of playing this game online. It's not quite the same experience that you would get when you play the offline game. In terms of the hitting and the pitching, there's been a new feature which is called beginner mode. You might not say that's much of a feature, but I would say it's about time they put that mode into the game. I'm not saying for me, because I do play on veteran or all-star. Yeah, that's like easy or normal. But you can go ahead and find a challenge in any difficulty you want to go ahead and do. You can find it at any time. And there's also many different ways to be able to hit the ball. You can just use the X button. You can use both the sticks. You can use meters. You can do anything you want in terms of pitching and hitting. Everything is customizable. And any kind of feature you want is customizable in terms of how even the umpires would act. Do you want them to get every call perfect? Do you want them to blow calls occasionally like they would in real life? Everything is going to be adjusted the way that you want to play so you can always have a challenge and always enjoy the game. You appreciate that. But in terms of being able to hit, you go ahead and you can choose if you want to guess a pitch and find your sweet spot at any time. But what you really like about MLB The Show is not only the outstanding graphics and realism in terms of the players' techniques and everything they would do in real life in terms of how they adjust their batting gloves and all of that, you think about when you go ahead and hit and you got guys like Prince Fielder and Miguel Cabrera on the Tigers, the pitchers will be cautious in the way that they pitch you. They will throw you stuff out of the strike zone. And you got to be patient. And I'm not just talking about easy and normal. They're going to do it to you on any difficulty. Unless you're playing on beginner and learning, they're going to throw you stuff down the middle. But when you play on any of those other difficulties or before you graduate to something higher in the game, you can go ahead and expect to work the count and try to find something in your favor to sit dead red on and hit it into the gap or hit it out of the park. And especially, too, I like when you pitch. You can go ahead and choose whether or not you want the release point to be on there so you can see if you hit it correctly in the meter where the pitch is going to end up, or you can have it be completely 
invisible. And then you can just guess where the pitch would be according to if your controller shakes, whether it's going to be outside or not. What I like about it is showing the release point when you got it on there, if you, especially with JV's curveball or something like that, you start the pitch right in the middle, and immediately you're going to see four gold lines, and that's going to show you if you hit the release point, it'll drop right off the table, just like JV's curveball would do. Or if you aim a four-seam fastball, it's going to go where you aim it if you hit the release point. So it's kind of nice. Once you get in the groove, you'll find out how the sliders would move, how the curveballs would move, how your changeup reacts. So you can really dominate with all the pitchers when you really know how to pitch your release points, and then you pretty much get a feel of how all the pitchers really work, and it's a really rewarding experience in terms of hitting and pitching. It's a very enjoyable game. Like I said, I would give it an 8.5 out of 10. In terms of road of the show, it's very awesome. In terms of being able to customize your experience to always have a challenge or just enjoy yourself, you can play co-op anytime on the same console, or you can play against each other on the same console with no lag and have a very incredible experience. In terms of playing online, it can be a very different story in terms of not just sometimes, in terms of all the time being a very different story. If you've got the older games, like I said, you can go ahead and get older rosters on MLB The Show for those old games and go ahead and make it brand new for you to get the new rosters if you want to go ahead and do it that way. You might not want to spend 60 bucks on the outright, but if you're an MLB The Show fan, dropping 60 bucks on the new game is not going to be hard to do because you get what you pay for, and in terms of that, you get a lot. The game's very good. The one thing I would say is this is going to be the last new game that's going to be on the MLB The Show in terms of on the PlayStation 3 because you're talking about the PlayStation 4 coming out in the holidays. It's going to be moved over and you're going to get something pretty good in terms of the next-gen graphics and all of that. I'm not saying they're not going to continue to make the games for the PlayStation 3 and Vita. You don't have to buy a PS4 on the outright if you want to play the show. But in terms of being able to make that next level up in terms of graphics and presentation... It's going to happen next year on the new systems, so this will be the last definitive release for the PlayStation 3 in terms of MLB The Show, but it's pretty darn good, and especially if you're a fan, you probably, when you're looking at the Tigers roster too, you're going to want to make a purchase. Alright, we're going to go ahead and get you out of here on that baseball segment. Thank you so much for listening to Sports Day and This is John out here with you from WXOU 88.3 from The Grizz. Next week's show ought to be a good one because we're going to break down the Tiger season preview. Season starts March 31st, so it's going to come pretty quickly. Tigers have opening series with the Twins, so they should be able to get the season off on the right foot. We'll let you know how they're going to fare.